the brilliant thing about retention and CRM teams and the platforms that exist is I've got the ability and permission to have an individual one-to-one conversation with me as brand or merchant and you as Rich or Ad or Matt or Jenna or whomever. And yeah. I think that paralyzes some of the, the the teams because they realize, hang on, this is really big. I do want to try and create that personal experience. So then what happens is perhaps they go, oh, we can't. We'll just keep it generic. We'll do welcome flow, abandoned cart, and maybe we'll do ad hoc emails when we've got something to say, new product launch and offer goes live. And there's no, then I think that's typically where we meet a lot of businesses and they don't then think about structuring their team and their tools in a way to look at segmentation properly. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this episode where I'm uh, together with uh, Richard. Hello, Richard. Hi. Hello, everyone. So uh, let me let me introduce you, Richard, to our audience. Uh, what I know and what I think are the highlights of your experience so far is that you've helped grow three unicorns profitably, uh, yeah. profitably uh, uh, among them uh, Gymshark. You've been... Uh, uh, the CMO of uh, yeah. of uh, a, a lot of uh, companies, and you are now the uh, head of growth at the Growth Foundation. So that being said, unveil a bit about your uh, your experience because yeah, no uh, problem. So yeah, um, actually, my retail uh, career started 30 years ago. Uh, this year, um, I started on the shop floor in Home Improvement here in the UK, a brand called Homebase. Um, so your UK listeners will know that brand. It's uh, um, a household brand. Started off part-time stacking shelves, general, you know, work in the retail store. Actually fell in love with working in retail. I really enjoyed it. Um, perhaps uh, looking through rose-tinted spectacles now a little, um, but um, I learned a lot about sort of great retail disciplines and getting the basics right in physical retail. Uh, got distracted trying to become a rock star. You can see I've got some guitars behind me in my younger <laughs> days. Um, and uh, obviously didn't quite make it because here I am talking about retail marketing. Um, but then actually ended up uh, for a short time in a record label in the early 2000s. Um, and actually it was really hard back then to, to find a job that would actually pay uh, good money. So I thought I'll go and earn my marketing stripes um, somewhere else and come back into industry. I went actually to a business, another home improvement business called carpet right here in the uk and um, worked in as a junior marketer to a maybe mid-level over four years and then i fell into my first fast growth direct to consumer brand uh, called play.com so i was there from around 20 million to 500 million in four years uh in the weeds of execution building a team and grow trying to hold on to grow you know to, to growing with that brand um and yeah, I then joined a business called THG, the Hut Group, who I'm sure you guys will have heard of, um, and joined that business at around a similar time, around 10 million on a journey with those guys to around 350 over about four years, and then went into lifestyle consultancy and portfolio. That's when I met Gymshark. So I did that sort of advisory and, and interim CMO in that business uh, from 8 million to 200. 
and through learning uh, a lot by doing, you know, doing, doing the growth and being there, building the teams, the processes, working out the mix of, you know, media channels. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot today about customer lifetime value and how that's important, uh, both for obviously profitability and contribution of your business, but how you use the information to, and, and that, that revenue and profit that you drive from that lifetime value to acquire more customers. That was obviously done in all of those businesses and um, taking that patent recognition. And now I run uh, with my incredible team of nearly 30 people at Growth Foundation. We have three sort of products and services here. We have a consulting and advisory business, helping people grow the right way and really think of it like maybe um, if you think about that as uh, I have this analogy that I use around talking about the Karate Kid movie. So we imagine our clients to be Daniel, the high potential hero of the future at the beginning of the movie. And we are the e-commerce growth, Mr. Miyagi's. We're the guides. We've been there. We've won the championships previously. And now we're helping those the teams in the brands sort of learn how to do it, mentoring, coaching, advising. Uh, we then have a recruitment business. So we spend uh, a lot of time usually around 30 to 50 uh, hires per month that we put in from manager to director in those types of businesses. And then finally, we have a, a fast growing but very uh, early stage conversion rate optimization uh, app called Order Rescue, which uh, helps merchants convert more um, orders in the checkout specifically, it just looks at the checkout and how to you know, get better flow through the checkout. Um, so yeah, we're very busy as you uh, as you can imagine, and the sort of perfect, um, I suppose, um, type of brand or team that we would talk to is usually around the a couple years in, maybe um, have got out of the bedroom, they're starting to scale and become professional, and then they and the founder or the the senior team realize, hang on, we can see great potential in our business, but we're not quite sure where to go. A bit like a Daniel, right? What do I do? How do I win the championship? And that's um, that's what we're up to. Yeah. Hey, hi Matt. I can just see someone waving at me. It's one of my team. Hey Matt. <laughs> so Richard, uh, you've done a ton, and uh, first of all, congrats. You've done so many so many things up until this uh, this point. Uh, tell me how you see lifetime value, because our mission here is to democratize the usage of customer lifetime value and to help brands and agencies and experts optimize the customer lifetime value, not only uh, monitor it, not only doing yeah. this type of ad hoc measurement from uh, here and there. How do you see lifetime value? How have you been leveraged it in uh, in your past experience? Yeah, well, a, it's such a great question. And um, I imagine you guys will talk about this a lot and maybe share some frustration I have with the uh, lack of, I suppose, market-wide definition of lifetime value. You know, you meet different brands and um and and different product sectors and all those things and each brand i've ever met has a different maybe definition of those things um and um i suppose when you hear that when i hear the word value i instantly i tr uh, i think about contribution and profit so the way that we um encourage our clients and the and you know and the, uh, the way the team works here is thinking of customer lifetime value is uh, it's a it's a profit number so usually we would look at and again, sort of um, strapping everyone, this is a, um, a sort of a formula that we will look at. So we might take a, uh, you know, a, a revenue, the average customer revenue generated over, a, let's say, a period of time, which is variable. It could be a month, it could be 12 months, two years, and that will depend on the type of product. So if you're buying a sofa or flooring, 
Um, that might be a five-year view because uh, it's a long sale cycle or lifetime um, you know, purchase cycle. But if you're in cosmetics or beauty, nutrition, it might be one month. Um, so we look at that average spend. We would then remove cost of goods and typically shipping and basically the cost of uh, you know, securing the product and getting it to the consumer. And then uh, this is, um, I suppose, uh, the best way then we look at trying to then extrapolate the potential future a lifetime value of a customer is dividing that number by the percentage of customers who only buy one. So it's like dividing it by a churn. So that's typically where we would approach that from. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Rich, tell me, uh, tell me a bit about the uh, way you've leveraged that in the past. So I, where we leveraged? Are, yeah. So once you've yeah. So once you've established that that metric, and perhaps we would look at maybe deconstructing that number into two stages. So, you know, um, average revenue over a period of time for a customer and removing those um, those uh, cost of goods and shipping and things like that. We would look at that. And obviously that's a very rational, that's what customers have generated for us. And so if you're thinking in your business, you're in a business that wants to make perhaps profit and contribution on the first order, that's the number we would look at. And then obviously you can look at that contribution that you get from a consumer and then use that to feed into, I suppose, the appetite and the budget of what you're prepared to acquire a customer for. And that's where I'm, I'm sure you guys will talk about either CLV or LTV to CAC, you know, customer acquisition cost. And yep. again, we will try and um, uh, encourage our brands and the businesses we work with to really use that CLTV to CAC ratio as the measure of success for the sort of the acquisition and retention teams to work closely together. And usually the other thing we would do is design when we're doing the organization design work that we do, usually we build a, a CRM or retention team who obsess about LTV or CLV. Again, you can yeah. see here, there's not one term that's right to use, is there? Um, yeah. so basically to really obsess about that number. And then typically there's a, a performance, um, I suppose, an acquisition team who typically are then using, you know, the levers that they touch are in perform, you know, paid media channels like Meta and TikTok. And, and for some other brands we work with, they may even be above the line. They might be doing billboards and, and other kind of broadcast media. They are then obsessed about the budget that they use to acquire a new customer. And it's the ratio of those two things. So we try wherever we can to get that ratio to be three to one. So effectively, you know, the lifetime value is three times greater than the cost of acquiring a customer. And anything north of that is probably getting into the realms of very good or exceptional. Um, and, and, you know, brands that are obviously anything over one is good because that means you're generating a net contribution to your bottom line after you've acquired the customer. So that's really how we inform it. So it becomes then perhaps for, you know, when we're hiring a marketing director or a CMO who's responsible for both of those functions, both on acquisition and retention, that individual can be really measured about on that ratio pretty much exclusively or, or, or that, that's mm -hmm. their major focus, obsessing about that. And give yeah. you an example, my, you know, my, my time in that role at Gymshark, for example, you know, one of a handful of board slides would be a very large CLV to, uh, to CAC ratio number to, to share with the board uh, and get them to think about that number a lot. Yeah. So, so you you you've addressed something important here. It's not like uh, so at Gymshark at least you haven't looked at uh, the CLV to CAC ratio just uh, ad hoc from time to time. You were actually monitoring it so that you know that you were on the safe side in terms yeah, of yeah. It's it's, it's monitored. I mean, in the sort of the cadence of that business when we were doing that, it was 
probably weekly. Daily, it's probably slightly too, you know, mm-hmm. sh- too short of time period to look at. Yeah. To see the but variation. it would be definitely, I would be looking at, you know, the, the, C, you know, the, the team would be very aware of that number on a weekly basis. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously back up, you know, into the senior team or to the owners of the business uh, on a monthly basis. Absolutely. It becomes like by default in the blueprint of how uh, the, the team operates and talks and in terms of measuring success. Um, and obviously there are quite a few ways of, um, I suppose, starting to deconstruct CLV or LTV as well, because you can look at what's the CLV of my very best VIP soulmate customers, what's mm-hmm. the CLV of my worst um, customers or even my nursery customers, I use that terminology, you know, that have placed their first order. And the very and there are many different segments and, and cohorts all have different lifetime value. And you can imagine for a relatively simple business like Gymshark, which is, you know, uh, maybe a few hundred to thousands of SKUs in one product category, you can kind of get some, um, I suppose you can start to get a sense of where how elastic CLV is. But if you're a brand that's perhaps like a department store, like John Lewis here in the UK, for example, you have 20,000 SKUs from baby to home improvement to, you know, uh, home in, uh, yeah. you know, and everything in between, right? And the CLVs will be very different. So it obviously comes much more complex with and linked to products. And it all comes back to that point around understanding what the typical buying frequency perhaps of your customer is. And that's your benchmark, isn't it, in terms of that frequency? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Rich, regarding this uh, frequency, which is uh, uh, an important aspect, you, you've mentioned two things that I want to unpack. The first one is related to the fact that you are uh, going into this uh, uh, direction of monitoring CLV to CAC and you have to have some targets, right? So in order to make it, to improve yeah. it, you have to, to set some proper targets. How important were those targets against the revenue targets? Because, and I want to set the stage here uh, correctly, yeah. many companies are chasing revenue or are chasing margin. God help nowadays that uh, the, yeah. the balance is more towards profit rather than growth. But they are not looking at what's causing the revenue to happen, what's causing the, the profit to happen, which are those unit economics. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, you know, I think as always, I'm sure everyone watching or listening knows that revenue and profit usually are at the top of every dashboard, aren't they? But the way that we unpack that is, I, and again, the way that the team here uh, talks about things, we talk about lead and lag measures. So if I think mm-hmm. about revenue yeah. and profit as a lag measure, right, it's the it's the factoring of lots of other lead measures that create that number. You know, you, you meet a finance director or a and a founder of a business, they say, I want to grow more. I want to do more sales. And you're like, well, there's, you know, sales, if you deconstruct sales and revenue, it's a, a combination of how much traffic uh, you get to the store, the conversion rate of that traffic, and then the average order value. You know, that's the, the lead measures of that lag. CL, yeah. And CLV, as I mentioned earlier on, is that what's that? How do you define it? What, what feeds it? So, Average revenue per customer over a period of time, takeaway, cost of goods and shipping, and that gives you a, a sense of that number. And I suppose that the interesting thing there is in terms of we would set that perhaps as because it gets it starts to go slightly cross-eyed, don't you, when you think about well, actually that doesn't directly relate to my my revenue. What are the what are the things that create? I suppose you know if you think lag measure CLV, sorry, lead measures of that on my cost of goods my shipping costs and maybe the, the amount of times that my customer spends, right? So imagine in a month, you're a beauty brand 
and maybe over a three month period, you've set the benchmark that people should buy two times. So I want mm -hmm. two times the average order value, take away the shipping cost of goods. So if I can reduce my cost of, cost of goods, so I can reduce shipping, that's going to help my CLV. Uh, if I can get them to buy more frequently or spend more every time they come, they're the levers I can pull, I suppose. So then how do I prompt you to come again sooner? And obviously beauty is a great one when you're consuming product. It might be that um, I just remind you because I can start to predict based on your behavior when you run out. So you're a heavy user of the product. So yeah. maybe I'd start creating a segment in my CRM tool to say, right, let's make sure heavy users get notified to replen sooner. And then perhaps people that don't appear to be heavy users, we need to adjust that. Um, yeah. How do I get people to buy more when they come? And obviously that's more of a trading and on-site uh, merchandising, uh, visual merchandising tool, but how do you get people to have more in the basket overall? So that becomes a thing of, right, do we offer um, bundle offers and discounts? Do we try and get you to, you know, spend and save or their gift with purchase? How do we get more, just more in the basket as well, right? And that that kind of, and I guess I suppose it's interesting there because it's not just then the responsibility of the retention team who are really obsessed about CLV, they need yeah. to get buy-in from the product team, from the trading and visual merchandising team, you know, operations around those things to really push that up. But I think on, yeah. on the whole, I would say is that I, I suppose good, let's say MDs and finance directors or senior financial people understand that if you can generate more customer lifetime value, um, that pays dividends for the particularly right, like, you know, in the month, but actually looking forward to the future. So that slightly more complex definition I spoke around where you take your CLV and then divide it by the percentage of customers who've only bought once or that churn number, that obviously gives mm -hmm. you a prediction of how, you know, the lifetime value and when you say life, actually, what is the life of a customer? Are they here for five years, for 10 years, for 30 years, or are they only here once and that's it? So it gives mm -hmm. you a sense of looking forward. And I suppose for some brands who uh, perhaps are looking to grow faster, if you start to factoring and look, actually look over the last 12 months, we can see, you know, four purchases on average. And maybe some customers do 12, some only do one, but four is the average. I can now use that, I suppose, confidence that I have in that, that uh, behavior to now spend more on my CAC. So, you know, you can use some of that incremental CLV in that calculation to say, well, actually, instead of maybe trying to main it that three to one ratio, I I can, because I've increased my CLV by factoring the future, I can now spend maybe instead of $30 acquiring a customer, I can spend 40. And that means I can reach more consumers. I can try and test different things. So, yeah, it, it's really important. So it would be, I suppose, in if I was designing the, We've got a, what we call, I suppose, our perfect dashboard here at the, the Growth Foundation that looks at product, brand, marketing, trading, operations, all the major functions of the business. Yeah. The two marketing ones, as I've said to you, under, you know, revenue, profit, you know, customer satisfaction are the top top ones. And then each in each function in the marketing one, it's got CAC and LTV. And there are some sort of secondary ones, of course, like traffic and 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 sort of mix of uh, customer life stage and other things. But those two numbers are super important. Yeah, got it. So if I uh, if I get it correctly, and we are on the same page for sure, I'm obsessed about these things, and we we're talking the same language. Uh, 
companies not using CLV to CAC are shooting in the dark when they are budgeting because they don't know how much they should be spending on acquiring a customer. So they are either underspending, so they are leaving money on the table because they are not accelerating their growth sustainably, or they are overspending, meaning that their lifetime value is not justifying such a high CAC and they should be focusing on other products or channels which are more cost-effective. And that's why they need to measure CLV and CAC and also drill down, slice the data so that they could see which are their best performing uh, first SK, first bot SKUs or, yeah. or categories or channels, right? 100%. Yeah, that kind of... Um you know, behavioral life of a customer is a really interesting one, isn't it? Where you say, yeah, we know hero product or first product is this. And then looking at the behavior, particularly of the, the, the better, more frequent customers, what's their second purchase? What's the third? What's their fourth? And again, are there some, perhaps you can see, hang on a second. I've got a group of customers on their seventh purchase who the majority have gone through this journey. And then perhaps there's someone on their third purchase and you can say, I can now predict you're going to move to position four. Could I get that to yeah. happen faster? Could I introduce that product to you as a sample or put it in your life quicker? You know, or, yeah, absolutely. You're obsessed around that. Yeah, improving. And I'm sure you've spoken about this as well. You know, we look at one of the ways we try and, I suppose, look at CLV is, is that quite, I suppose, relatively simple calculation, but we will overlay or look through a different lens of recency, frequency, and monetary value. So that is the combination of how recent is someone, how frequent are they? And, and I suppose that monetary value point leads to clv um mm-hmm. they're those two other kind of key like cousins of that metric recency and frequency yeah for sure yeah so we're, we we can get now into the rfm segmentation so tell me tell me what's your position about uh, rfm in uh, in e-commerce and uh, in retail yeah it's um i suppose what's interesting uh, from my experience is that i don't think i've met uh, maybe out of the few 200 brands I've met in the last five years, only a handful have presented a reasonably coherent RFM playback to, to, to yeah. us. So there's, again, an, an opportunity to use that lens to, to look at your data. Yeah. I suppose, uh, again, not it's sometimes quite difficult to visualize when you talk about methodologies of data and things like that over a conversation and um, try to make it accessible for the audience to listen to. But one of the things that we will do when we take a like an RFM, let's say health check of a database, yeah. One of the things it's really good, I suppose, is indexing your worst customers against your best ones. So you know, like that idea of, um, because if, you know, every month or week is seasonally different. Uh, if you compare customers and their behaviour in, let's say, peak trading in Q4 of a year compared to Q2, it will, you know, those scores could be quite different. But typically, what we would look at maybe is like, well, let me look at last year score the the customer database using it, we use a quintile RFM sort of analysis here. So we score everyone from one to five mm-hmm. for recency, frequency, and monetary value. So for, again, for the listeners and viewers uh, checking in, a five, five, five customer would be very recent or the most recent, the most frequent and the most valuable. And the one, one, ones would be the inverse, the least recent, the least frequent and the least valuable. So perhaps then you yeah. could think about, well, what does a first time customer look like? So there may be a five, one, one or a five, three, one which would be, or 533, right? Very recent and maybe one frequency. They've only bought once. And now they may have spent, don't know, they might have spent $30 or $4,000. So you've got that ability to start thinking about the various scoring uh, and taxonomy that you can use across customers. So it's useful perhaps then look at last year or last 12 months, 
compare that to the previous 12 months and the one before that or a period of time. I suppose what you're looking for is more of your database in the fours and fives than in the one, two, threes. Um, the other thing that it does is um, I suppose it starts to bring out some information around what are the average days between orders, which customer groups I've got a small team in my marketing team. I've only got perhaps one, you know, one or two people in my CRM or retention team. Where should I get them to focus on? And we kind of are quite brutal. Anyone with one and two, don't bother. Like just put them in your prospecting list. Anyone yeah. who's five, they're probably very product sensitive and f- love your brand. So you could talk to them more around product and innovation and collaboration and feedback about what the brand does. Maybe the threes and fours are the ones and the potential to move your CLV, right? Because are you going to yeah. get much more CLV from the very best customers? Probably not. It's, the risk is that they may stop becoming your best. How do you not offend them and make them go away? The Probably the CLV growth comes from anyone with a three and four. In, the, yeah. in, the, in our in our in our view um where it doesn't become particularly useful when you look at things like that is actually running a crm program because um it's probably better to define sort of life stages of of, of customers in a slightly different way right which might be well, actually nursery customers are by def- definition have only ordered once in the last 30 days and can spend anything but a soulmate vip needs to have spent you know four thousand dollars have made 12 purchases and recency isn't an issue so much so it's more yeah. around but perhaps that so yeah and and that, that that's kind of the view but yes yeah, um very important um and yeah i think probably again without going down a rabbit hole of, of rfm yeah. that's probably a good uh a good view but you can tell like, here we go great to see this so basically yeah we are talking the same language and uh, I, I wanted to to add some visuals over what you've been yeah brilliant uh, you you've been uh, addressing because basically that's what uh, our our bread and butter is uh, is around uh, this uh, this rfm segmentation so this is a, a short yeah. demo of of how how we are we are doing it as well <clears throat> rich i want to brilliant i think it's it's so it's always refreshing to see how people from different uh, corners of this planet yeah. are are eventually reaching the 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 same uh, the same conclusions and making the same uh, uh, processes you know optimizing the same processes towards uh, towards improving uh, uh, lifetime value so what i want to ask and also the parity against the worst customers we have this in our cvo academy let me show you this because it's uh, it's quite funny because it's, this is a uh, uh, this wasn't uh, uh, scripted, guys, as well. So basically, yeah. it's uh, uh, genuinely we've we've literally uh, come yeah. in cold with a few pointers in terms of what we're talking about. So yeah, exactly. So basically, that's what we do uh, as well. It's part of the academy where we are teaching people about what to do with the soulmates, for instance. And they, this is the parity against their worst customers, which are breakups, the one one ones, right? The the ones which yeah. are the uh, the worst customers. Now. Uh, Rich, I want to ask you, what do you think keeps companies from adopting this uh, this methodology? What keeps them from focusing on? Because unit economics makes sense. Without doing this, you're not you're underspending or overspending. The customer acquisition costs are through the roof. Still, there are a few companies which are going so... Uh, yeah, uh, I, it, it, like I mentioned again, when we met every customer, most of the merchants and clients I've met are... It's been interesting. We could probably maybe try and uh, work together on doing more research in this space. But they they appear to be overtly acquisition, new customer acquisition focused in terms of that's the, the path they believe that creates the growth. 
So we mm -hmm. often meet businesses where you look at the organization design, there will be maybe a founder who's the product visionary that then hired an agency thinking they want to grow. So I'm going to go and spend more money on acquiring new, more customers. And of course, yeah. in the early stages of your business, if you have no customers, you need some. So the, the, the focus yeah. has to be, I suppose, overtly new customer focused. Um, but what tends to happen perhaps is because they get some success on that in the first year or two, they kind of get on the treadmill and, and you know, the, and then they get busier, they're distracted with lots of all the other things that happen without running a, a growth brand. And I yeah. suppose the, the knowledge typically that we see with, again, you know, with most founders is they don't come from a retention and lifetime value experience place. Um, they're around, I've got a product. I want to make more customers aware, aware of it. So usually like a performance marketing agency or paid media agency gets engaged or even a consultant or you build the team there. And, and even in businesses that we've met at 10, 20, 30 million, you might find there are, you know, four or five people or an agency doing the acquisition work. And there is a junior um, CRM or retention head who's maybe been told what emails to send by the founder or the product team. And there's no sophistication or little sophistication. And perhaps, and it's, it, I wouldn't say it's they're doing it on purpose. Yeah. It's an unknown unknown. So your kind of mission to democratize and get everyone aware of this is a brilliant one. And we're on the, we're, we've got the same, um, definitely we're, we're with you to help make that louder across the industry. Um, yeah. Usually one of them, like you, when we meet a business, the, usually the, I suppose it may, may sound a bit, bit easy, but our mandatory checklist when we meet businesses is like check CRM and RFM and CLV immediately. There's usually pots of unlocked gold sitting in this yeah. function and this space. And it's, yeah. it's, and I think it comes down to an unknown unknown. People just are not aware of the opportunity. I think the other point around uh, that if they are aware, it is quite complex isn't it right? When you have to try and yeah. deconstruct the relationship with each individual customer, I suppose the brilliant thing about retention and CRM teams and the platforms that exist is I've got the ability and permission to have an individual one-to-one -one conversation with me as brand or merchant and you as Rich or Ad or Matt or Jenna or whomever. And yeah. I think that paralyzes some of the, the, the teams because they realize, hang on, this is really big. I do want to try and create that personal experience. So then what happens is perhaps they go, oh, we can't, we'll just keep it generic. We'll do welcome flow, abandoned cart, and maybe we'll do ad hoc emails when we've got something to say, new product launch and offer goes live. And there's no, then I think that's typically where we meet a lot of businesses and they don't then think about structuring their team and their tools in a way to look at segmentation properly because it sounds scary and complex. But I would say one of the things with obviously what you guys do and the brilliant platforms that exist out there like Clavio and Bloomreach. It's more, it's easier than it ever has been obviously now with the, how open and stitched together and well integrated uh, tools are. If I roll back to my first e-com job at play.com, we had a, let's say a, 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 a let's say an adequate email. Um, um, I call it a gun, you know, like the ability to fire emails out, but it had no segmentation in the tool. It had no ability to query data. There was no kind of, I suppose, that customer data platform work. So actually that RFM analysis that you guys have got in your tool, we would do manually in spreadsheets um, every week, uh, get the data raw out of the, of the e-com system, do the querying in spreadsheets. And we had to do it, you know, Excel's only got a million rows. So that would, you have to do it over multiple sheets put it all back together, upload emails back into the email service provider, et cetera. So 
it's easier than it ever has been. So um, that would be a sort of a you know top, I suppose, a top recommendation from us always is to, I suppose, speculate in your CRM and retention team and tools because the, there is, yeah, un, uh, unleveraged uh, gold and opportunity in it, in my view. Perfect. Rich, uh, regarding the actions, tell us, sorry, if you can share some stories, some, some, uh, some uh, things that you've been able to do in the past or with your current clients uh, around the, the CLV work. Yeah, that's a great question. Let me so let's have a think about some of those examples. Um, and also, I'm conscious around you know confidential information yeah, and yeah. numbers. So I'm just yes. racking my brain for what I can give give some examples on. Um, so, I mean, give you an example of that. Uh, I suppose underplaying or not knowing the opportunity in in CRM overall. I mean, even at Gymshark to some degree, giving you that the guys had. Um, I think we we're. Where were we? I think they may have been on, I think MailChimp originally went to Amasis in terms of tool set. Um, but actually, again, typical welcome flow, ad hoc emails when new products are being deployed, pretty much it, that's it. And then we, again, did a, 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 an RFM overlay with those guys, looked at all those things and started to understand here are the soulmates and the best customers. Here are the, the higher potential ones that just need pushing along more. Here are the group that have fallen out of love with you for some reason. We need to address that or maybe not spend too much time worrying about it too much. But, you know, so we did that process of deconstructing it um, and really effectively starting to build that. I know where you are in your life stage with us and then just giving you the right message at the right time. And, and I think talking, not trying to get down to a, we have an individual conversation with a million customers. We'll have maybe eight groups or segments or, or cohorts and we'll just tweak the messaging slightly for those groups deployed that and i can't tell you the number but we went yeah. from a, a a good you know hack to ltv to an exceptional one over about 12 months so single digit to double digit right yeah um, and so, that's so that's by focusing on on the right customers and then focusing on acquiring the right customers yeah by yeah family, yeah right yeah, and I mean, let me give you another one as well. So one of, I suppose this is back in my THG days a little bit more, and maybe recently we've got some some examples, that, um, but I can't pull any direct ones to, to head that I can point to. But the, the, I suppose the importance of understanding which consumers are product sensitive versus promotion sensitive. And that's again, yeah. brands don't do enough work on grouping those two people together, right? Because imagine if you're in a physical store and you say, right, here's a group of... 50% of my customers only care about product. They care about getting it first to be the first yeah. to have it, to wear it. They love the brand. They're in that, again, that kind of soulmate kind of area. And then I've actually yeah. got people who are soulmates too. They love my brand, but they maybe aren't affluent enough to be able to afford uh, the, yeah. the full price product. Or actually they just love deals. There's a deal hunting, deal hungry people. Yeah, I'm happy hungry. to wait three to six months to get a price move. And obviously you, then it says to me, well, don't send new release full price information or, or emails or messages to the, the deal hunters. And likewise, don't sell deals with margin erosion and effectively CLV erosion to your best customers. Yeah. Right? So that's a that's a real, I it sounds quite simple, but actually virtually no one I've ever met in, from the first meeting does it. They don't think about the, the types of customers and the behaviors of the, the customers they have. So then, you know, actually I've got deal hungry customers I can be very, I suppose, um, scrappy and uh, I can really drive and trade them because if I know they're, they're responsive to offer codes yeah. and outlets and sales. I can do that really quietly, 
with that group in hidden collections on websites with codes that aren't public that are unique one use and i can drive you know extra revenue and theoretically clv um without disrupting my full price premium you know uh buyers yeah. as well and it's it's such a simple thing to do richard yet most of the brands even big or small they are uh, they are throwing their margin on the window by yeah. broadcasting their discount their promotion campaigns to everyone while they are not conscious about the fact that they have very price sensitive groups of customers which are still active and the, the those could be addressed to i don't know destock the the yeah the good that they are yeah, there's, there's a few other i suppose things that we would try and overlay or tag on a profile or maybe segments based on the rfm score right is i suppose we've talked about that how product and price or promotion sensitive are they um like persona that's one thing people don't look enough around obviously you've got the things that you might be able to like clavio for example can um try and i suppose uh attempt to understand gender if you don't actually ask the question so likely to be man likely to be woman um or not or, or unknown or other yep. That's interesting in terms of, again, how you talk to that consumer. And I suppose, imagine if you're a exclusively male product brand, but you've got 25% of your customers as females, what's going on there? Is it women wearing men's products or using them? Is it women buying them for their men in their life? Is it mums buying for their sons? You know, like, like yeah. so, and actually trying to think about that. And again, we've got quite a few brands that we've worked with who are, really have quite a big gifting proposition you know they're very beautiful gifts and actually yeah. again in the crm saying actually are you the buyer of a gift and not the user of the product i would like to try and capture the user's information so i can tell them how to use it and come back and get more when they've used it and whereas the gift buyer probably just wants to know it got there on time and they love it you know so there's very and that's an opportunity um so that, that's the persona one obviously yeah social demographic or gender and age information is absolutely key to overlay through that um and i suppose actually which products you're sensitive so i think back to my department store days like at play.com and and thg where we had multiple product categories um and which very different frequency and recency and monetary value cycles having which i suppose where you've come in from so did you come in at play.com you bought dvd first back in the showing my age here right and then or then did you go to video <laughs> games then did you go to music uh you know and you'll be able to see i suppose there probably is some um statistical probably waiting around your very best customers are more likely to buy across many product categories but knowing which is the first that path to higher clb we spoke to yeah yeah and and again you might have customers that just trust you for one thing i come here for video games don't talk to me about anything else you actually annoy me when you try and get me to sell sell cds and books and, and merch right Other things, it's, yeah. It, yeah it's trying to start to build a map of those I suppose those other kind of um, contextual segments on top of that scoring is really important. Again, what I'm what we're trying to do, and I can think about what's so so what why why do you do it? It's so you know what to say and when to say it. You know that that kind of truism in everything in, in when you're selling anything, the right message to the right person at the right time. You yeah, know, and that information helps you do that. Rich, I wanna I wanna shift gears a bit and uh, uh, focus a bit on on. <coughs> the 
suggestion for companies willing to adopt such a such a methodology what do they need do they need the data analyst do they need uh, an agency do they need the consulting is it about the tool itself or it's a mindset uh, a mentality i think both isn't it so mindset from the decision makers perhaps um depend and this is really i suppose the the caveat to this answer will be it really depends on the size of the business doesn't it right so But if we're talking perhaps in the scale-up world, maybe where um, they've got out of the bedroom, it's not a startup with one or two, you know, a founder and some family friends. We're now in a team of maybe 10 to 50, looking to perhaps, you know, build more sophistication into every area of their business. Yeah. Um, I think it's an element of like mindset. So getting, you know, your finance, head of finance or the, the basically whoever is the power of attorney on budget to think <laughs> about the opportunity And you're right, how rational and sensible it is to obsess about CLV and CAC um, and have that as, I suppose, a lens to look through versus perhaps, you know, my marketing budget is 15% of my net revenue, which is often where people start, you know, a percentage of your revenue, but actually deconstruct that more into actually how much am I prepared to pay for a customer, a new one, and what do I want them to generate CLV over 12, 24, 36 months? You know, that's a really important thing to think about. In terms of then actually how do you operationalize it, You're absolutely right. Working on finding a good tool. And I think, you know, I spend a lot of time and the team here in pretty much Shopify's ecosystem. Probably 80% yeah. of our clients are in that space. And obviously they have, I suppose, a preferred or partner status with Clavio, which integrates very well. And I think that's the point. The little checkpoint here is whichever platform you're using to, to basically generate sales through, make sure the CRM or the customer sort of, I suppose, segmentation tool you use integrates brilliantly and the data is high quality and accurate and, and timely. Um, yeah. I've spent in my earlier days when things weren't as easy, we would spend months working on the integration alone to make sure yeah. almost in real time that what it said in my CRM tool was the same thing that it said in the CRM or, you know, yeah. in the date. You haven't met on the convert reveal. So basically yeah. our paths weren't... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm talking perhaps you know 10-15 years ago where things were more difficult and APIs were a, dis- sure. you know, a future dream, right? Um, which didn't yeah. exist back then. Um, a future and a width. So then I think it's obviously once you've got the tool, maybe a great way to visualize this. It's a bit like uh, use Formula One or car racing as a great analogy because you might then find you don't need a Ferrari or you know a Formula One car. You just need a, a VW Golf, right? That's all. That's good for now. It's very capable, it's yeah. efficient, it it's great from A to B. A to B, comfortable, safe, like you don't need all the tools. And typically then I suppose is then saying, well, actually, if I maybe got, I wouldn't say you have to go and hire a Ferrari racing driver, but someone who's maybe slightly better than your tool, because often that's the way we'll try and sequence things is we found and I found building the teams and running the teams I have is that um, it's better to have slightly more skilled, ambitious Uh, driven individuals who have got good tools, not like incredible tools. You can get yeah. loads out of the tool then. Often I meet businesses, and this is more in the enterprise space, larger organizations, they have Ferrari tools and then VW golf drivers who don't know how to use the, <laughs> the tools, right? Uh, yeah. And all the features that you have. So I think it's a, a slight balancing of those things. So a, a good tool that you can integrate quickly and it's good, you know, cost effective. And then I would say a, a good You don't need a leading edge CRM team or, or consultancy or even, um, you know, agency in my view. It's someone who's good and understands 
I suppose that Preto's principle of going to find the 20% of customers or opportunity that generates 50, 60, 70% of your, of, of the revenue upside. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I think then depending again on your type of business and your size, you might have a f- owner who's happy to outsource everything to agencies and consultants. Fine. If you're more around in-housing, um, go and find that sort of CRM or retention uh, talent and, and hire it. What, what's interesting, obviously, because we have a view of the talent market hiring into, you know, tens of clients on a monthly basis. Um, the number of, let's say, good to great CRM people is is low. You um, actually overall in the market, um, there aren't there aren't that many. Um, so I think it's one of those things that you've either got to perhaps find someone with the right intellectual capacity and appetite to learn get them around you know some some good agencies some good mentors and coaches and good content to allow them to grow into it or you know it's a very competitive space you probably find there's quite a premium for for crm and i've seen that move more than performance marketing over the last 12 months and this may be because of the people want to optimize you know now there's a bit more with the recession and sort of headwinds in the economy people are optimizing a bit more and they're thinking hang on do i need to be paying another ten thousand dollars a month to meta and google when i could use that money on talking to my existing customers so i think founders and finance people are thinking slightly more hang on a second i've got a whole group of customers here that i don't talk to properly yeah let's go and get the talent and actually yeah it's been um you've seen sort of crm salaries or uh, the market get more demand which has created obviously then the inflation of sort of salaries and things like that in that space so yeah um but i i would imagine you know even a I suppose, a, let's say, a relatively commercially Im- immature individual with a couple of years' experience will will make a difference to a business that doesn't do anything in their CRM or CLV now. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. Uh, Rich, I wanna I wanna talk a bit with you about this uh, <clears throat> this matter uh, of optimizing the channels. How how do, how are you seeing this? Uh, is CLV so dramatically different based on the customer, the the channel? Can you rely on attribution? Can you can you can, can you Good rely? Question. On- and when you're talking, you talking about marketing channel, so meta yeah. versus organic search versus direct yeah. load. Yeah, yeah. One of the challenges I I see there, and, and and we experience it here when we're working on brands directly, is I suppose the quality or lack of complete lack of data on actually securing that referring url or last visit before a conversion yeah so actually then being able to see that in your crm tool your customer data platform to have complete confidence that i know that customer last clicked on let's say a meta ad and then converted so it's then quite difficult and often you might get it from some sources and then you might have maybe 40% of your data where it's completely missing or even maybe your technology stack is not connected. So you don't get any of that visibility. So effectively all you see yeah. in your customer data platform or your CRM tool is here's rich. He bought yesterday um, for a hundred dollars and he bought, you know, previously to that four months ago for $80. It's got no idea where I came from, you know? Um, yeah. And that's the worst place to be, I suppose. Um, I'd be nervous about if, if I had really, high confidence and quality of information around last click referring channel. And then we maybe need a whole new show to talk about attribution because it's, it's complex, right? Because it depends on, are you a first mover brand having to educate 
consumers that you exist. This new product has appeared. It's unique. It's come out of nowhere. It's a first mover. Are you a, let's say, a gym brand disrupting a very large sports apparel market? And you've got something different to say. And then as we know, depending on all of your offer architecture and brand positioning, your journey path to purchase may be very different because you may be overly reliant and find loads of success in organic media and earned media through influencers and creators and PR, and you do very little performance paid marketing. And obviously what you would see in your data would be direct load. But under that direct load, there may be hundreds of different campaigns working offline to drive that awareness for the brand. Yeah. And then I've got no idea, right? Cause it's happening in, in real life and I can't capture that in, in my, uh, in my data. So, um, attribution is challenging. So I, I, it wouldn't be an area that I would take, let's say a, a brand or a merchant who's on the beginning of this journey. Don't worry about last click referral attribution, just actually do the basics in actually get your CLV established start to think about RFM and looking at that and just look at it that way to, and then inform your cost of acquisition budget. And effectively, if you can do, if you've got slightly more budget or you've got confidence on your acquisition budget, that may allow you to test different paths to purchase in different channels and change your channel mix. And obviously, I suppose as if you're a, let's say a, a marketing, the leader of the marketing team and you're looking after acquisition and retention, you've got the ability yeah. to perhaps understand, well, actually, what did we do last week that was different to the week before? or last month or last year, did our channel mix change a great deal? Have we done something differently? And then how has that affected my CLV? You could do it top down, you know, um, intuitively or indicatively. But yeah, I, I, what do you think? Are you, do you think the same? Yeah, my uh, my perception is that as long as you can rely on that the, that attribution uh, tool, I, I, I had a great conversation with you. Uh, uh, just two weeks ago at, uh, at, e-commerce, uh, at an e-commerce conference in Greece with uh, yeah. uh, Russell McCarthy. So he, he, he stated that uh, there are models, there are ways to model the data and to predict what, uh, what, what is the marketing mix, so to, to, to nail the attribution. However, there are, uh, there are companies which are not using such tools and uh, they they don't have enough data to predict what is the actual yeah uh, you need a critical uh, mass of data to make it relevant right yeah so if you think about it uh, rich you you have customers coming to your store let's say let's do this uh analogy with real store what is the most important thing for you to increase sales and to have customers coming back to buy again knowing that they came from uh the second floor or they came from uh, the metro station, or they came from from where they are coming from, or why they are buying the products. Because yeah, there are this this comes down to slightly the context of your positioning as a product and in the market again, first mover, disruptor. There's some of that that will change that slightly. But I think you know where and why are still really important. Um, and I suppose you can see with a lot of. CRM platforms um, that move into, I suppose, the ability to uh, change the visual merchandising of a store based on perhaps your segment, right? If you look at the more Ferrari tools that are out there, right, they have the ability to perhaps say, well, I now know you are female, you're in my soulmate group, you're a brilliant customer, I'm going to yeah. show you the store or the you know some components of the store in a certain way that I know you'll like. Likewise, I know you're a guy, you're in my discount group, 
I'll give you access to the outlet in the store at the, at the in the in the navigation of the store, perhaps instead of it, you wouldn't see it as a soulmate. Um, yeah. So um, that's really important, and that's again just being right message, right time to the right customer. Um, yeah. I suppose the conversation we could have and it, and sort of drill down or uh, expand further on new customer acquisition via what and where it's, it that that feels much more variable and, and more complex to sort of unpack. Um, yeah. But I'm thinking around on the CLV front, you know, any, anything you can do to, I suppose, automate or scale that you've got, this is a returning customer and not a new visitor yeah. or a new customer. Yeah, it would be would be the first thing you would try and achieve for sure. Yeah, and if you think about it, what's, uh, what's dramatically important is to have identifiable customers because if they are not logged in, you can't do anything on their website experience, so you can't become relevant and you can't address them that they are, let's say, former soulmates of your brand which are now on your website to... Yeah, to, yeah. To I mean, one of the things that I see, again, this is probably the slightly less sophisticated clients that we work with or when we meet them, you know, like display retargeting. So often, and this happens to me as a consumer, I'm a quite a, a frequent and I mean, maybe I'm a soulmate of a brand and I get display retargeting like I'm a new customer. Hey, come back and buy. And I, Hang on, don't talk to me like this. I've spent, I've done tran 10 transactions with you in two years. You should be saying something else. In, yeah, when like, you're following thanks, me around, uh, right? Mr. Customer for being so loyal. Yeah. And we've got some some good tactics of how to leverage that media in, alone with returning or existing customers versus new ones. Um, yeah. So it, you're absolutely right. It, you know, the, again, right message, right time, right customer. If that, and, and, I, and that sound, it can sound really overwhelming because then you think I've got to talk to every different customer differently. Don't start that way. Start with, I'll talk, I'll create four, eight customer groups. Yeah. And create messages that work for them. It and then when I get more sophisticated and it works, I then go to 20, you know, like it's like yeah. one, yeah. What, one brand to few instead of one to everyone. Yeah, that's, that's right. So Rich, regarding the, uh, the, this topic of, uh, let's say, optimization or uh, having this type of uh, mentality around uh, and alignment around customer lifetime value. You've stated something uh, important that you need this type of uh, alignment to happen. It's not only a marketing uh, game, it's an operations, merchandising. Yeah, whole whole business effectively, yeah. nearly, nearly every part of the business. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you align this is, uh, well, I think, you know, that idea, I imagine, again, this is the approach maybe I would take and you may, the listeners of viewers may need to think about how they, you know, the, the personalities and styles of the teams, but I imagine thinking about the, the roles I've been in, I imagine if I showed that this is the calculation of CLV, it's a component of average spend over a period of time for customers remove, you know, cost of goods and shipping, I imagine you'd hope, I know the individual that owns cost of goods. It's my product team or the product director. He now is a stakeholder of my number. Yeah. Operations, you know, shipping costs. Now that's the operations team. And then obviously average revenue per customer. That's a commercial who said the frequency, which I can help on, but that comes down to like stock and pricing and basket sizes. I need my trading team or the e-commerce team or the, the individuals that run perhaps the, you know, the commercial sort of trading calendar to be bought in, just putting yeah. that on a one slide in a meeting, say, right, I'm going to get three guys here, trading operations and products. How yeah. do we work together as a small group, share a piece Cross once a month and mm -hmm. work on getting this number to from like say three, you know, um, in terms of our, 
CLV, or maybe your CLV is $100 or it's $500, but maybe you'd share that CAC LTV to CAC ratio. How do I get my CAC LTV ratio to go from three to five? And, what, yeah. and then you work out, can you, if I've dropped my cost of goods by 4% and my shipping cost by five, and I could get my AOV or average quarter spend up by 10, suddenly I've done this to CLV. And, yeah. and then how, how could you start that? So top down, design the target and then work bottom up of what you could do to, to get there. And actually what's interesting, I suppose, for most businesses, if they're being measured, let's say, well, the product guy will already be thinking about how do I reduce my cost of goods while maintaining the quality of my product. The operations team is saying, how do I reduce costs of shipping and pick and pack while maintaining the quality of the output? And then likewise, the e-com guy is always going to be thinking, hey, I want to get my basket size bigger. I want to create greater average order value. And they're already doing it. It's just getting them together and seeing it through the lens of CLV and yeah, working together yeah. and prioritizing this properly because in, yeah. in, in our course, in, in the CVO Academy, we have this framework of prioritizing things because once you have the data, once you have the objectives and once you have the teams, it's also a matter of uh, being aware about your resources and your capacity to ship things in the next quarter or the other one. So that's how yeah. if you don't prioritize based on your uh, resources, uh, is uh, how easy it is, how costly yeah. it is, what is the impact, the potential and so on, you will uh, end up uh, chasing for the new shiny object and uh, it's, it's not going to move the needle. Yeah, the it's just a, like you say, as we said right at the beginning, it should be a mandatory metric that's on a, on the, the master dashboard trading front yeah. page of the trading pack every every week or yeah month that you that you review it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but it's really important. It's interesting to talk about stock. There's always an interesting thing, isn't there, that often, again, silo mentalities or silos can tend to group. And actually, the CRM team, often when we, we see them, and I've managed them, tend to get isolated slightly because they're in the world of, I'm talking to customers already here. I don't have to be on the pulse of today's trading number. They're obviously yeah. thinking about, usually they're measured on delivery, success of email, open rate, click-through rate, and all those sort of things. But they maybe don't talk enough or actually consider, actually, yeah, am I going to have enough stock to sell in three, six months time, right? It's really important that again, you know, that this, your CRM person or team are exposed across all the other functions of the business and don't sort of just leave them. Oh yeah. That, you know, just send more emails guys. They need to be completely, um, you know, as you say, um, co collaborate with all the other teams in the business. It's absolutely key. Yep. Rich, where can people find you? Because we are now at the end of uh, this amazing oh, That hour went really quick, didn't it? That was great. And well, thank you for having me on. And thanks. We actually have seen my our web link come up on the screen. Yeah, we're at the Growth Door Foundation. I'm on LinkedIn forward slash, you have this IN forward slash Richard Chapel. So just type in Richard Chapel into LinkedIn. You can find me there. Um, I'm trying to create quite a bit of content uh, around order rescue, our conversion rate tool. So um, please, listeners, come and find that share it comment on that but and thanks again for yeah for, for having having me on the show you are more than welcome and thanks for uh, sharing your uh, knowledge and your expertise with us rich hopefully we will f uh, we will meet uh, meet again in the in the future until then thanks everyone for listening and for tuning in and we'll see each other of course in the next episode cool thanks everyone